Welcome back to another episode of Tales from the Cartridge, the video game story podcast. I am one of your hosts, Eric Penrod. And I am your other co-host, Ryan Power. <laughs> Ryan, how the heck are you? Uh, I am great. I am wonderful. I have a house full of apples and also spooky, spooky <laughs> ghosts. Of course, so that's great. Um, I'm doing. I'm doing well. Um, I've been playing some. Yeah, yeah. I've been playing some Hades still. Um, mm-hmm. Back at Animal Crossing, getting the candy every day. Um, growing some oh, pumpkins, yeah. which has been really great. Um, a little bit of Crusader Kings. This past week was a little crazy with work, so I didn't get to play as much as I wanted. But um, I'm excited to play some more with that. But that's it. What about you? How are you? And what have you been playing? I'm good. I just got a new job. I forgot to tell you yesterday because we went after. Congratulations! It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm you know working uh, as a therapist still, which is awesome. Working with kids, which is really cool, very rewarding. So, yeah, uh, and this week was kind of a weird week. I didn't really play a whole lot, and just normally the same things. I played uh, more Mario 64. I really want to get all the stars before I go to Mario Sunshine. So it's a work in progress. It's it's taking some time, but we're getting there slowly. <laughs> So I'd never played the OG 64. I know you may have talked about this a little bit last week, but difficulty-wise, does it feel really much harder? Does it feel kind of the same? Uh, so I I feel like I had an easier time when I was a kid. Uh, I've read online a few times now that the controls for the Switch version are not good compared to what they were in the N64. Like the N64, you controlled it much easier than on the Switch version. And there are times where I like I go too far. I move too far in the Switch version, and I'll, and I'll die uh, so it, it might be, I, I chalked up it to me just being not used to the controls again, but maybe there is something there to that, but I, maybe that's just people trying to make excuses too. I don't really know. I'm having a great time though. I really <laughs> good, am good. enjoying it a lot. Um, and I'm very super excited to go back to Mario Sunshine because that game, for whatever reason, I was just so excited about that game when I was, when I was younger and I had a great time with it. So I'm really excited to get to that eventually, hopefully soon. <laughs> and then more Animal Crossing. I've like literally a thousand pumpkin patches everywhere just Just grinding all the pumpkins (laughs) um but yeah so that's that's basically what's going on for me um but before we jump into anything ryan yeah we got our first write-in we did it happened it finally did it (laughs) it was amazing like i did like a a triple take when it came up on my phone i was like holy crap we finally got our first write-in that's awesome uh and our write-in comes from chris laforce Super cool LaForce. ass name. Yeah, very cool. Can you imagine the puns you can use? Like, I'm a little force to be reckoned with. That's so <laughs> yeah, cool. That's very good. That's very good. <laughs> you awesome. too can email in and we'll give you cool puns that go with your name. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to read Chris's letter really quick. Please uh, do. Sent in. Uh, he goes, Hey, friends. I was going to give you a five star rating on Apple Podcasts, but then thought maybe I should distance myself after hearing you dump on both Jedi slash Sith <laughs> and Boba Fett in your very first Star Wars episode. Yeah, that's true. We did do that. <laughs> sorry, yeah. sorry, Chris. Uh, please give us those five stars, please. Uh, <laughs> however, you won me back during the opening crawl with probably the most ambitious podcast musical opening I've ever heard. Thank you, Chris. That was so nice of you. Ryan really did the best of, of that part. I did my I did. best. I did my best. In all seriousness, great episode. I went into this game blind thinking... So, I'm sorry. This is for Shadows of the Empire. Yeah. That he's writing it about. In all seriousness, great episode. I went into this game blind thinking it was part of the Jedi Knight series. If you enjoyed this, I would definitely recommend the Dark Force games, which may change your mind regarding Jedi being flat characters slash uncomplicated good guys. Uh, in, in parentheses, he writes, Kyle Katarn is sweet. And actually, I've heard of Carl Katan. I don't know anything about him, obviously, because maybe I wouldn't change my mind. Um, but I would love to visit those games one day. That'd be awesome. 
Yeah, the only thing I know about the Dark Force games is they eventually turned into the Jedi Knight games, which was a really fun, like, third person, first person, then third person, um, also became Jedi Outcast and Jedi Academy, um, which Mm -hmm. by, by, like, Raven, these were, like, big Xbox Jedi games where you're, like, running around with a lightsaber, it was really fun. But Dark Forces was, like, the first one of these. And I, I just remember... You know, my only knowledge of it is it's, like, a first-person Doom-like. But, yeah, that sounds awesome. Oh, cool. Okay, that's awesome, yeah. I And I and actually, reading Chris's letter reminded me that I really did enjoy uh, Knights of the Old Republic yeah. and how the main character is kind of portrayed there, like, and how you play that main character, your main character, and, and their backstory was kind of cool. It, it made it more complicated, made the character more complicated, which is um a good example of uh not how he felt yeah. <laughs> during yeah, that yeah, episode yeah. so <laughs> um i think that also like shows that maybe in the movies they're not as complex but maybe in some of these other side games and experiences they've they've flushed them out a bit more mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so chris continues i always enjoy when well-known events from popular media are shown from the perspective of a side character rather than adapt a movie into a game you have and have to play through what you just watched, I would always prefer to take a supporting character on a side adventure that just brushes what's happening with the main story while encountering more popular characters in passing. Are there any other games presented in this way that come to mind? Hmm. Ooh, I don't know, actually. That's, that's a, really a great question. question. I'm sure there are. Yeah. There was a there was a Jango Fett game, actually. I think on the GameCube that I remember enjoying, but I don't remember. <laughs> Oh man, Luigi's Mansion, I would say, is, is kind That's of, true. it's not exactly in that category, but it, I mean, Luigi's kind of a side character in his own his way, own thanks little, a lot, Mario. His own little thing, yeah. His brother's way, his brother's more popular than he is, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> no, not fair at all. Um, yeah, I'd be really interested to look into this and see what other games and stories are out there, because it's it's a really cool idea. I mean, in, in movies, like, Rogue One is kind of that, right? Which I think we talked about a little bit, where it's, like, a side story that leads into the main story. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm that's sure really that... I'm question. sure... Yeah, that's a great question. We'll have to we'll have to circle back at that and, and come up with some answers. Yeah, definitely. We really probably should have before this episode started, and I, I forgot. <laughs> it's all right, it's all right. Sorry, Chris. We'll, we'll come back to... Yeah, we'll get, you, we'll get you on the... We'll get you on the end. We'll get it in, yeah. get it in post. anyway keep up the great work can't wait for those spooky pics chris (laughs) p.s tom nook is a tanuki not a raccoon (laughs) which is funny because i call him a fox and then a raccoon so yeah you're totally right and uh, and now i'm thinking about mario wearing the tanuki suit and how messed up that kind of is (laughs) just wearing tom nook skin welcome to the spooktacular (laughs) i mean welcome to the (laughs) spook i imagine that one yeah and then there's a PPS second. I tried to leave a rating on your iTunes, but it's not showing up for me. Not sure what the deal is. Uh, neither for us either. We have no idea what's going on. We'll look into it, though. Hopefully people are leaving stuff for us. And thank you for trying, though, regardless. So, yeah. Thanks again, Chris. You're awesome for writing in. You're our first write-in ever. So, you know, your medal will be in the mail soon. Uh, the plaque. The $400 uh, like that we send everybody who no, sends letters in. That'll be there shortly after as well. No, no, that's oh not God, true. Don't that's say not that, true. Ryan. We're going to get sued so bad. <laughs> so, yeah, if you want to be like as cool like Chris LaForce, again, amazing last name. That's so cool. If you want to be as cool as Chris, uh, you can write into us at talesfromthecartridge at gmail.com. All of the E's are threes. And also, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Send us a DM. Let us know what you think of the games we've covered or will be covering for the cover- for the coming week. Uh, we'd love to read your, your thoughts, feelings, and perspectives, as always. Um, but yeah, without further ado, 
the game, the spooky game we are covering this week Whoa. is Outlast. <laughs> yeah. Outlast is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've jumped. When I was writing the script, <laughs> I jumped so many times that my poor animals that were just sleeping uh, would just wake up in a, in a, a fit, like not knowing what the heck's going on because I you know, panicked and jumped. Because uh, I was always writing, always writing these things at night because <laughs> I was stupid. <laughs> it's when you have time, but it's also when it's scary. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Ryan, I think you found some great background information about the game Outlast. Yeah, so Outlast came out uh, September 4th, 2013. So this is a couple years before Soma in our games timeline, which I was thinking we should like make a timeline of all the games we've covered. I think that'd be cool. But that's a great in our in our games timeline, um, it was published and developed by Red Barrels, which are kind of a smaller crew. They got writer JT Petty, who is written for a lot of different games, and he has written even on some movies. Um, some of the notable ones are um, Splinter Cell, a couple, couple games in the Splinter Cell series, Homefront, Out, of course, Outlast, Walking Dead Season 2, um, oh, which wow. is a, a good one, Batman Vengeance, an old, old game um, that's still pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. And then some of the main influences that they talked about were obviously Amnesia. That is, I think, a big piece of this. I think Amnesia mm-hmm. affected a lot of these horror games. And from a gameplay perspective, where first off, you can't fight back right you're you're there's no combat you're just running away and hiding um which yeah i i know a mechanic in outlast even though i haven't played the full experience i know that's a mechanic in outlast um as well as just kind of how you interact with the world and then the other um influence and i think you probably have a better idea of these than i do because you're a spooky movie person is wreck and quarantine um those found footage um movies where it's all behind like a a camera and they thought you know why isn't this in games why can't we do this in games um Mm. and uh one of the things they thought were really important for immersion was making sure the sound design was really good so you like for example you'll hear things moving and that's where you kind of will know where they are you're breathing you'll hear your breathing to a certain extent as as scary things happen the in order to help that immersion the character breathes in the same way your breathing would speed up Oof. And uh, the goal was to kind of make you feel powerless um, and things getting more and more scary and you have no power to fight back. Check. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then the last thing I found that was really cool is part of the funding for this game was a Canadian government media fund. So the what? Canadian government gives out fu- gives out these grants to or companies who want to make media in the country. Um, and that was a, a, a chunk of how the game was made as well as like the pe- developers just throwing their own money into it. Wow. We're like really invested in making this thing, and uh, thankfully they did, and we're here to to play it and talk about it. That's crazy that Canada, inv- Canada. <laughs> invested yeah. in this game. You think that like anywhere else would invest in this horror game, but like Canada, the like the seemingly to... nicest country in the world. They're <laughs> <laughs> trying to rebrand. Everyone be scared of us, guys. <laughs> Just throwing poutine everywhere <laughs> in the game. Yeah, terrible. Oh, that's great. So, Ryan, do you have any memories of Outlast? Uh, I will say up front, I've never played Outlast, but it came out around the time where in my life, I think I think I was in college or I just finished college and I was watching a lot of like YouTube playthroughs. And so a couple of the YouTubers I watched played through it. So I, in some distant part of my brain, have seen this whole experience with some British person talking over it. But that's the extent, <laughs> that the extent of that experience. What that's the you? best way to watch something is with some British person <laughs> talking over it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, I... I We'll be honest. Ryan, you give me a little too much credit with the scary movie thing. I, I am forced by my girlfriend to watch scary movies. It's not a choice. So, uh, yeah, I'm not good at it. But uh, as for Outlast, I have tried playing it, and I just can't. 
I just can't do it. And it's because you can't fight back. Like if you can fight back, you have some kind of power. I, I for, for me, I feel like I have some kind of control in the situation, but when I can't fight back, it's just, it, it just, I can't do it. I, it's too much. It, it is really overwhelming for me when I'm playing it, but I really enjoy watching it. So I realized very early on when playing Atlas with my friend, I couldn't, I, there's no way I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So, but watching my friend play, I really enjoyed the game a lot. Like the story is really deep. There's kind of a lot of lore going on in the background of this game, um, more going on than we realize at times, and which is really cool. So that's how I really enjoyed this game a lot. And and actually re writing the script and watching a playthrough, I really enjoyed it. The things that Miles has to, that the main character Miles has to go through, it just really it just gets like overwhelming at times. It just kind of stacks on, stacks on, stacks on. You don't know what's going to happen. So long story short, really liked it. Um, I like the game a lot. I just can't play it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a very spooky game. It's very scary. And I will just, I'll never go into an uh, insane asylum of my own free will. <laughs> I refuse. I just won't do That's it. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of them, they shut down. So I think you yeah. covered it in some aspects. <laughs> Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. Well, well the reason they were shut down, good. There, we do need places for people with mental health to yeah. recover and be supportive. These asylums that shut down are not those places. Exactly, yeah. yeah they're very, <laughs> very, very bad places. Yeah. Um, and there's actually, you can look up online too if you want to know more. There's some horrifying pictures. And actually, it's interesting. I wonder if, I, I wonder if there's any kind of uh, influence in this regard. But I remember reading some articles about someone who had gone into an asylum while I was still operational and just taking pictures there and just seeing the horrifying conditions mm -hmm. that these people are in and it was just heartbreaking that this actually happened in real life you know so yeah that's what shut a lot of these places down as journalists started going in and th there was this huge situation i think it was in the 70s somebody who knows more about this than me i hope correct us mm -hmm. but there was where uh journalists were going into these places and then sh like it went on like dateline or 60 minutes or yeah, something and yeah the american people were like horrified and they, these places started shutting down but yeah it's based on somewhat true events maybe i don't know the full extent but somewhat right. true events. yeah it's it's horrifying to think that this could actually happen i mean not to this extent in outlast i think this is a very you know it's a very supernatural case um but yeah still awful so yeah so let's all treat each other with respect and be kind and all that and uh without further ado <laughs> let's start the episode <laughs> yeah let's do it it was dark but the lights from the jeep cut through the shadows covering the dirt road the forest on either side guiding him as he made it to his destination. You could see the large building in the distance, its lights shining like a beacon for him. His press badge swayed side to side as he made it to the end of the dirt road and to the entrance. Mount Massive Asylum, the plaque read outside of the building's gates. With the first gate already open, investigative journalist Miles Upser parked his jeep. An anonymous email sent to him about grotesque experiments being done at the asylum has led him there. Miles turns his jeep off and grabs the camcorder lying on his passenger seat. With no security at the gate, Miles begins walking up to Mount Massive Asylum while recording with his camera. I start feeling sick just looking at this place. Mount Massive Asylum shut down amid scandal and government secrecy in 1971. Reopened by Murkoff Psychiatric Systems in 2009 under the guise of a charitable organization. Cell phone reception cut off abruptly a mile out, more like a jammer than a lost signal. The Murkoff Corporation has a long track record of disguising profit as charity, but never on American soil. Whatever they thought they can get out of this place has to be big. Might finally be the story that breaks these bastards. 
really quick, uh, just as a side note. So in the game, the camcorder is the main thing Miles uses to kind of see in the dark with the night vision. We'll get into that later. But when you look at certain things happening in the game, so for example, he points the camcorder at Mount Massive Asylum on the outside. He'll write down his thoughts or feelings on paper and you get to read those thoughts. He doesn't actually speak. But I thought it'd be kind of weird to have him like pull out a pencil and paper and write these things down in the like through this story that we're telling. So instead of doing that, I'm having Miles say his thoughts as the camcorder records. I think that'd be more of a thing a journalist would do. Uh, just to so he's documenting what he's thinking or feeling and what he's seeing. Miles walks to the massive building's front door. He passes military vehicles abandoned outside the steps leading to the asylum. With the front door locked, Miles walks to the left side of the building and is able to get into the property through a bent gate, up some scaffolding, and then an open window. As he enters the window, the light shining in the room bursts. Pulling out his camcorder, Miles uses the night vision mode to see. His eyes widen as he sees the room destroyed and what looks like blood splattered all over the room. Miles exits only to find more destruction in all the rooms upstairs. Self-made barricades using filing cabinets and bookshelves block some hallways off. Miles slowly moves down the hall until he realizes he cannot make it to the main hall of the building due to the doors being locked. He is able to climb into a ventilation shaft leading there. Following the halls, Miles finds the library filled with hanging bodies, their blood dripping and pooling underneath them. Turning the corner of a bookcase, Miles finds what seems to be a military soldier, skewered through his body from a spike protruding from the ground. <gasps> Miles falls back as the man comes to life. They killed us. <laughs> they got us. The variants. You can't fight them. You have to hide. <laughs> can't unlock the main doors. You have to get the fuck out of this terrible place. Miles stares at the soldier as he slumps forwards and dies. Collecting himself, Miles quickly runs from the library to the hallway. He knows he needs to get out. But he also knows he can't go back the way he came. The ventilation shaft is too high up for him to climb back up to. In the hall, Miles walks to eventually find a barricade with a slight opening he can shimmy through. He brings his camcorder down from his eye and begins to move through the barricade. Little pig! Miles is pulled back and begins to be choked. The massive figure in front of his eyes is terrifying. Blood covering their body. A missing nose and their teeth showed due to an absent set of lips. Miles struggles as the massive figure throws him through the window behind him, and he plummets down to the first floor. Black envelops Miles' vision as he tries to come to. He sees a shining light flashing at him, and he awakes to a priestly figure. Their head is bald and eye sockets blackened. And who are you? The priestly figure asks as Miles struggles to stay conscious. I, I see... Merciful God, you have sent me an apostle. Guard your life, son. You have a calling. Failing to stay awake, Miles falls unconscious. So Ryan, take a quick second. What do you Ooh. think so far of this opening? Um, it's it's good. It's really engaging. Um, it's it's a lot is happening. Um, real quick to our our friend Miles here. Um, mm. and there's just a lot of things that you have questions about and again like we've talked about questions are a lot of times what drives us but then also there's this tension of being trapped in a place and being attacked 
in a place that's that's really interesting. It's it's a good um, the op- whatever the opposite of a cold open is. That's what this feels like. It's just, it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah, straight to one hundred. Yeah, it's it's one of those moments where like you've messed up and you realize you've messed up. Yeah, like the moment the moment I open I'd walk in that room and I saw all the blood in a destroyed room. I think I would just turn back outside that broken window, go yeah. back down the scaffolding, exit out that broken gate, and back in the jeep <laughs> and left. Like there's no way I and it's oftentimes you see that. Um, portrayed by journalists um, in, in media a lot. Like, they got to get the story. You know, we got to move forward. we got to get the story. Um, I would love to one day, if there was any journalist out there that listened to this, uh, write a write in and tell me if that's the case. <laughs> if, they, if, if, you know, from their experience, journalists have this, like, you know, overwhelming passion to move forward with the story no matter what. Because uh, that's the case, I would never be a journalist. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in this situation. This <laughs> right. man, Miles, is really messed up. <laughs> I mean, I also think you could probably just, like, take pictures of that, like, waiting room and then just walk out <laughs> and, like, look at the terrible yeah. things I found. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I can understand wanting to know more and wanting to, like, uh, I think they've set it up in a really cool way that your your purpose, your goal is is to do good, right? You're trying to bring down an evil organization who's, you know, taking advantage of people who, who are you know need the most support in our society it's really admirable cause right that, that they're mm-hmm, setting us up mm-hmm. for and then just instantly saying nope this isn't what you expected um in a really interesting way yeah and the thing about miles too that i wish we never really get a lot of context we know that miles is trying to bring down the corporation known as Murkoff corporation who runs this facility he wants to bring them down he knows that they're shady he knows that there's more going on and that they're corrupt but we don't know if it's miles doing this to help the world or help these patients inside the asylum or if he's doing this to like better himself or yeah. both yeah. um we're not quite sure and it's and it's really interesting too because as you get more perspective from miles and his like documentation throughout the game you really see how cynical miles is like he isn't the nicest person he wishes death on some people at some points and that could be because you know he's going through this like hellish situation um because i think that this kind of situation as it gets worse and worse would bring out the the worst in you as you're just trying to survive you know um so it's really hard to tell what kind of person miles is exactly uh he seems more like a person you're living through rather than a real person yeah but um but still super interesting yeah waking up after an unknown amount of time miles slowly stands up and realizes he's in the main lobby of the asylum the mangled and bloody remains of security guards lay on the ground in chairs of the lobby with the power to the front doors suspiciously cut off, Miles knows he has to restore the power to escape. Miles records the scene as he continues to gather evidence while trying to find the power supply to the front doors. Patients, alive but disfigured, are sporadically found in the asylum hallways. They are in a daze, watching static on a TV screen, unaware of Miles. Miles moves through rooms, finding documents about a Dr. Wernick and the experiments he had conducted at the asylum several years ago. He also finds notes about a patient named Father, a.k.a. Martin Archibald, who suffered delusions of a higher calling. Finding a security keycard off a dead security guard, Miles goes back to the main lobby and follows the signs to the security office. Bloody words such as witness written on the walls. As his camcorder records, Miles speaks. I'm already beaten to all hell, picking broken glass out of my scalp couple of broken ribs nearly killed by some deformed giant looks like somebody tried to fuck start his head with a cheese grater he throws me through a wall 
Knocks me unconscious. I wake up and some doughy old man with a face like an alcoholic kitty fiddler in a homemade priest outfit calls me his apostle. Not a job I asked for. There are words scrawled in blood everywhere. I'm getting an ugly feeling in my gut that the priest is writing them. And for my benefit. Entering the security room with his keycard, Miles sits at the computer and waits as the computer accesses the security system. To the monitor on his right, Miles sees the priest from the security camera. The priest can be seen grabbing a lever as he looks to the camera. Pulling the lever down, the computer shuts off and the room goes dark. The backup generators come to life, but the computer remains unoperational. Miles needs to turn the main generator back on that the priest shut off. Loud footprints approach the security room as Miles looks out the window to see a shadow coming closer. It belongs to the hulking monster that threw him from the second story earlier. Panicking, Miles finds a locker in the room and hides inside it. Busting into the room, the monstrosity looks around. You were here, weren't you? Little pig, I'll find all you whores. As the behemoth prisoner moves out of the security room, Miles quickly comes out of the locker and slowly moves to the hallway. I see you. Miles hears behind him as the massive prisoner charges at him. Miles scrambles, running down the hallway with all his might, his lungs burning and gripping his camcorder tight. He sees a set of stairs going to the basement to his right and runs down them. Shutting the door behind him, Miles waits a second and realizes he isn't being chased anymore. A sign for the electric room points Miles in the direction he needs to go. Using his night vision mode on his camcorder, he makes his way to the electric room. He can hear other people wandering down in the basement with him. His heart races, trying not to make too much noise. Finding the main generators, main power switch, and the main power starter, Miles brings the power back to the asylum. He heads back upstairs to the main lobby and slowly back to the security room. Miles sees no sign of the massive prisoner as he goes into the security room and sits at the computer. As he attempts to access the security system again, Miles is grabbed from behind by the priest and stabbed with a syringe, injecting him with something unknown. I'm sorry, my son. I didn't want to have to do this to you, the priest says softly. But you can't leave. Not yet. There is so much yet for you to witness. Miles tries to fight back as the priest grabs his head. Will you see it? Can you? The priest turns Miles' head to the computer monitor with a camera feed. He sees military soldiers entering a room, their assault rifles up and ready. Our Lord, the Wall Rider, tears his truth into the unbelievers. One by one, the soldiers are thrown around the room by an invisible force. Their bodies twist and bend in unnatural ways, smashing into the floor and walls, leaving a bloody mosaic behind. The only way out of this place is the truth, the priest whispers into Miles' ear. Accept the gospel, and all doors will open before you. Miles struggles to listen as he passes out. So that's like the first part of the game, Ryan. What are you thinking so far? Oh, man. I mean, it's, to be honest, it's hard for me to think about the discussions. I'm just really engaged. Like, like both your writing and the storytelling has been really engaging where there's just these moments of incredible tension 
that then shift and change into something even more tense and even more tense. And you're just not really sure what's going on. And I think kind of like what you said, these characters that you're encountering are just so interesting and you want to know more about them. At the same time, they're just like terrifying, Mm -hmm. disgusting um, beings that just kind of haunt this place in a really interesting way. And then you add this other aspect of this supernatural, right, with this wall rider who's just able to just... right. How how are you gonna fight back? Let alone these this group of army soldiers just were mowed down without you know even knowing what they were being attacked by. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really it's really engaging. It's really it's really scary. It's really creepy. Um, it's got like this this very unnerving tension to it, um, especially with the kind of um, religious undertones to it. it. It makes it kind of even more kind of spooky in some ways. I think, but yeah, it's it's really great. I'm really interested yeah. to see where it goes. Yeah, it's cool, and and I will say too, a lot like Soma. Um, well, I should say that, I should say too that in Soma, I think it was more easy to get information on people without like reading documents and stuff like that. This is the opposite. Outlast has a lot of documents you can pick up, a lot of information you'll have to read to kind of get the full story of. And I think they do give all the information. Like you can learn more about each patient. The this hulking behemoth of a prisoner, you learn his name, and you and you learn more about his background, and you know more about the priest and other characters coming forward and kind of what's going on in the background of all this, like why this asylum has been active and what they've been doing. Um, but you have to just, you have to find that information. So I think it all gets answered. Uh, if you don't, if you're too afraid, like I would be to get all the documents, you can also find it on the outlast wiki, <laughs> which is a huge, huge help. I couldn't add all of it to the story. Obviously it would have been a long story if I did. Um, so I tried to add as much as I could, uh, the ones I thought were important. But yeah, overall, it's just it's weird because you I, I didn't expect a supernatural element to be in this game. So when you when Miles watches the monitor and you see these soldiers like they're just firing at nothing and their bodies are twisting and blood's shooting everywhere and they're getting dragged across the floor, um, it's kind of like a surprise. Like what the heck is how has Miles already lost his mind? You know, like is is this really happening? It's it's really cool as it you know it sets it sets the story up really well as, and then kind of builds upon that as you move forward. I'll also say, like you said, the characterization of Miles that they do through the you're spoken but in the game's writing really does a really good job of kind of giving you a clear picture of who Miles is, how he looks at the world, what he believes, um, in a way that's... I have a really clear picture in my mind of the kind of things and person that Miles is and believes. And that also, again, mm-hmm. just sets up so much more in a really, really good way. Yeah, and I think I think it's a good thing that they kind of made Miles a little cynical because I don't think he would have survived if yeah. he was like this really nice altruistic person. I think he's very like, you know, swears a lot, you know, kind of just is more like realistic, down to earth kind of person, and that's why he's able to kind of like go through this journey in this insane asylum. Waking up in a padded room covered in bloody crosses, Miles sits up and finds his camcorder next to him. He makes sure it's working before standing up. He collects himself, readies his camcorder, and documents his thoughts. <sighs> this priest, Father Martin, brought me here to show me something. Thinks I'm going to be a witness for whatever bullshit crazy he's trying to sell me. This Dr. Wernick is at the center of whatever went wrong here. But he died more than ten years ago. Rest in peace, says the blood on the wall. Miles leaves the padded room to find himself in what looks like a prison cell block. Moving past rooms, Miles comes across two naked twins locked behind a jail cell wall. Who's this? One twin asks the other. Maybe Father Martin's man, 
The other replies, Maybe. He looks nervous, the second twin states. I would like to kill him, says the first. As would I. The preacher asked us not to. It would be impolite. Not here. We should give him a running start, questions the second twin. There's an idea, smiles the first twin. And when we kill him, we kill him slow. Such patience. I want his tongue and liver, demands the first twin. They are yours, assures the second. Miles stares at the twins, not saying a word as he records them with his camcorder. The twins stare at Miles in the darkness as the journalist moves to a nearby stairwell and walks down. Patients, who have seemingly lost their mind, wait on the first floor of the room. One patient sits in a wheelchair, their body naked and covered in deep scars, their genitals removed. Really quick story, guys. I want to say too that the whole genitals removed thing—it's important. <laughs> I didn't put it in there to be weird. <laughs> uh, it's important for later in the story, just for context. <laughs> I'd be like, "Wow, Eric's a freak." <laughs> they had to point that out. Just won't stop talking about their genitals. I don't understand. <laughs> Miles finds a room with an opening in the wall and goes inside. As he walks through the opening and up the next floor, he remarks, "Fuck this place." seriously, just fuck this place. Dying keeps moving lower and lower on the worst things that could happen to me here. Miles is able to come out of the hole of the wall into an empty hallway that leads to the opposite side of the cell block of rooms Miles had been traveling from. Following the hall, Miles ends up on the side of the jail cell bars that had just held back the two naked twins. Down the hallway in front of him, Miles reads a message in blood on the wall. God always provides a way. Follow the blood. His heart still racing, Miles follows the marks of blood seemingly left behind for him. Going up two flights of stairs, Miles sees the message, down the drain, written on the wall, a large hole in the floor in front of it. Miles slowly jumps down the hole and follows the blood to a door with computer screens lighting up the room. Also inside was an inmate, who turns and begins to chase Miles. Miles runs fast and hides behind debris as they run past him. Miles runs back to the room he was chased out of and presses one button on the desk that unlocks a disinfectant chamber Miles needs to go through. He backtracks, hiding from the threatening patient and making it to the disinfectant chamber and going to the other side. He hears voices in the distance. We gave him a chance. That we did. Miles turns the corner to see the naked twins again behind another set of bars in the middle of the hallway. I'd say we were more than fair, the first twin says. Paragons of patience, says the second twin. Joblike in the suppression of our desires, the first twin says admirably. But now? Now. Now we indulge, the second twin says happily, blunt object in hand. Miles stares at the twins, happy the iron bars are separating him from them. But Miles knows he has to move forward, somehow in the hallway, where the twins wait. A broken window next to him, Miles jumps out and grips the ledge. Shimming across the ledge with his hands, Miles re-enters the hallway to find the twins gone and continues to follow the blood marking the walls and floor for him. 
And really quick, I want to say like Miles is ballsy. Miles right, is right. like he's brave because like he knows he needs to move forward where those twins are, but there's like this like metal gate blocking the room, you know. So like he can't get past it unless he shimmies around the outside of the building and goes back in to where they are on, on the side of the room that they're on. And he just does it. Like, I would have been like, okay, well, I'm going to pretend to walk down this hallway, leave. Hopefully they leave too and I'll <laughs> work around, you know? But he just like, and it's funny, I didn't put this in the script and I wish I did. But like the twins even state like, does he think that we're stupid? Like we're right here. If we know he's outside, should we push him? And the one's like, no, then we can't kill him. Like, you know, they're they're talking about like, like they're, they're commenting on how stupid <laughs> Miles is being right now because they could easily just kill him. And he's just shimming across the outside. So when you go back inside, they're gone seemingly i think because they want to like they want to hunt yeah. you they want to hunt miles so it was just funny it seems like a, a little bit of a disconnect when i was watching it's like that seems like a weird decision i would try to like find a different way to go around but uh, less believable it, it also like the circumstances are, are pretty buck wild and i think perhaps you could give it up to miles he's just doing whatever he can because he's just like yeah. in this terrifying place yeah yeah the hallways are pitch black until Miles sees the monstrous prisoner from before, through a hole in the first floor below him. He knew his name now, from a file he picked up earlier. Chris Walker, a former military veteran and ex-Murkoff security, now a silent patient. He was massive, and Miles watched as Chris ripped the head off another prisoner. Miles quietly whispers to his camcorder, I can't shake Chris Walker. The big ugly fucker just likes to rip off people's heads. I hear him muttering about security protocols, containment. But what if, but what if he's not the problem? What if he's trying to fix it? Miles finds another dead security guard and gets the key card to the shower room. Miles makes his way through the showers and finds another security room and powers up another disinfected chamber leading to where he needs to go. Suddenly, Chris Walker walks into the disinfectant chamber, staring at Miles, his massive body casting a shadow over the terrified journalist. Chris begins to smash the glass, separating him from Miles, as the latter turns and begins to run. He tries the door he came in through, but it's locked. In the back is an open vent. Miles narrowly escapes before Chris can grab him. Through the vent, Miles goes and jumps down in the hallway where he entered the security room. Flames are overtaking the security room, due to Chris Walker. Miles runs to a newly powered disinfected chamber to get away, but a sudden explosion knocks him back and he smashes through a window behind him and down to the floor below. Miles lands on something soft. He looks underneath him to find a massive pile of dead bodies decaying into one amalgamation of death. Miles holds back the vomit racing up his throat and quickly grabs his camcorder before getting up. I'm coming. You won't have to kill yourself. Chris Walker says as he descends down the stairs to where Miles stands. I'll make the pain stop. Miles ducks into the dark and moves around Chris who is unable to see him. Miles runs and Chris turns to follow. Running through the hallways, Miles hears the massive footsteps behind him getting closer. Spotting a small opening in a pile of debris in the hallway, Miles quickly scurries through, leaving Chris Walker hopeless to follow. Passing more patient cells, Miles finds the blood trail left for him and follows it. Entering what looks like another shower room, Miles sees the word Wall Rider written in blood on the wall. Miles speaks to his camcorder. The word Wall Rider is all over this place. Murkoff is running an experiment here called Project Wall Rider 
but the patients talk about the wall wire like it's a physical presence, a demon or a spirit. Something they found in the mountain. I'd chalk it up to a schizophrenic delusion, but I just saw something, maybe. Maybe it was a glitch in the camera, or maybe this place is getting to me. Miles goes into the shower room and down another massive hole into the sewers. He hopes he can find a way out of the hell hole through these tunnels. The stench is vile, and it's hard to breathe, but Miles slowly moves through the sewers of the asylum. Finding a door, Miles enters to find a patient who says they are the same. They still see what is real. He informs Miles that Dr. Warnick in fact died before ever working in the asylum. What kind of experiment does a dead doctor perform on living patients? The patient asks Miles. Continuing through the sewers, Miles finds the tunnel leading to the male ward of the asylum. Blood flows down the sewer tunnels leading to the male ward. He sees more writing on the walls, writings about the torture the patients were receiving. Miles records his thoughts. The harder I try to escape, the further I get into this god-awful place. Like fighting a tar pit. They've been torturing people in the basement and by method. Written on the wall. Fingers first, then balls, then tongue. Somebody's managing the torture, instructing them. Going up the stairs, Miles is forced to crawl through another vent, only to land in a room with a patient tied to a chair. The patient screams, leading the cannibalistic twins Miles met earlier to come running. Miles moves a large metal shelf out of the way of the door and runs. He continues to follow the blood trail left for him by Father Martin. Ahead of him, an empty elevator shaft he can jump across. Running as fast as he can, Miles jumps and barely grasps the ledge to the opening on the other side. You little whore, the first twin says. You can't hide, says the other twin. Miles runs, gaining distance from the obsessed twins. He enters a room that's a dead end until he hears a voice over the intercom. Who's down there? You're not one of them, are you? Quick, get in the dumbwaiter if you want to live. The platform of the dumbwaiter comes down and the vertical vent opens. Miles jumps inside and rides the dumbwaiter up, trying to catch his breath. As Miles makes it up, he sees the person who helped him. Their skin mostly removed, exposing the muscle fibers. An apron around his waist, bald with hair only growing at the back of his head. The glasses he wore were broken, a surgical mask half covering his mouth. Miles' eyes widen in the horror of the sight of him. <laughs> you made the right choice here, buddy, Miles Saviors says before punching Miles in the face repeatedly. Miles falls from the dumbwaiter and onto the floor. Hey, you're that little shit priest guy, aren't you? <laughs> His uh, witness or whatever? You must be exhausted. Let's take a break, huh, buddy? The old two martini lunch? Have a little confab. The stranger picks Miles up and straps into a wheelchair, binding his wrists and ankles. Heavier than you look. <laughs> a little cardio wouldn't kill you. Okay, here we go. Arms and legs inside the car at all times. The stranger begins to wheel Miles out of the room and down the hall. Miles struggles to get free, but it's useless. He's positioned to look down the hallway at an open door leading outside the asylum. Oh, I love the mountain air up here at night. You want to head out? Take a stroll? Go ahead. I'll wait right here. The stranger jokes, taunting Miles. Go on, run free. I'm in no hurry. No? All right. 
Miles moves back and forth in the wheelchair, trying to get out of his restraints. Nose to the grindstone. I like that. Okay, right this way. Miles is wheeled back into an elevator with a stranger. The elevator goes up. Miles trembles in fear at what is about to happen to him. The stranger is quiet and looks content. As the elevator opens, the stranger pushes Miles down the hall into a dark room. Here we are then. Thanks for coming by. We'll begin your consultation in a moment. I'll just need a second to wash up and... The lights in the room come to life as Miles sees blood splattered all over. Two sinks sit against the wall in front of him. Numerous insects scurry across the floor. The stranger takes Miles' camcorder from his pocket. Oh, home movies. And it'll give us a chance to talk. The stranger sets the camcorder down on the touching ledges of the sink. Miles sees the stranger wearing nothing under his apron, his buttocks filleted with deep scars. Miles struggles more, desperate to free himself. You know, I'm a bit worried how much time you've been spending with Father Martin. I hope you haven't been letting him confuse you with all his holier-than-thou Bible-thumping. The stranger moves from Miles' right to a small cart. An assortment of bloody knives and bone saws lay on it. Behind the stranger are urinals resting against the wall. No offense, man, but sometimes I worry he might be a little bit, uh, crazy. The stranger picks up a small bone saw and brings it over, resting on Miles' cheek. He turns and goes back to the cart. It's understandable. People get scared. They're as like to turn to God as anything else. God died with the golden standard, though. We're on to more concrete faiths now. The stranger picks up another bone saw and brings it over to Miles. You have to rob Paul to pay Peter. There's no other way. Murder in its simplest form. But what happens when all the money is gone? Questions the stranger. He takes Miles' hand and checks his fingers before going back to the cart again. Well, money becomes a matter of faith. And that's what I'm here for. To make you believe. The stranger walks to a urinal and pulls out a large set of surgical shears resting inside of the bowl. The stranger comes back over to Miles and forcefully grabs his right hand. The stranger cuts through Miles' index finger on his right hand. Miles screams out in pain, unable to stop the stranger from hurting him. Paying attention? Don't pass out on me. The stranger punches Miles across his face. There's still a lot left for you to absorb. The stranger cuts through Miles' ring finger on his left hand with the massive shears, the warmth of his blood now covering his hands. There. All better now, right? Do you understand what we achieved here? We made the consumer into the means of production. This thing is going to sell itself. The stranger puts his shears down on the cart and wheels it out of the room, shutting the door behind him. Miles looks down at his hands in agony and disbelief. He wondered how he ended up in this vortex of insanity. He wondered if he could ever escape. All right, let's take a quick moment. Oh, oh. <laughs> Ryan, how are you feeling in this situation? Uh, I'm. It, it's really tense. Um, this every encounter is terrifying. This stranger is, I think, the most terrifying thing that we've encountered so far. Just his yeah. demeanor, that contrast between his demeanor and his appearance, who he is, where he is, is just unnerving. And then how he carelessly and carefree is just kind of chatting about this in just a taunting and terrifying way. Nothing is more terrifying than, like, a totally sane person in an insane situation. It's just, like, so unnerving. Yes. And like you said, this this person, whose name we'll learn soon, um, but this stranger 
uh, he it's it's unnerving. I think because he yeah. sounds so sane. Yeah. But he is so insane. And I like the way they did this because like he's getting chased by these twins and he's getting chased by other people too. Um, in that moment with the dumbwaiter. And so when this dumbwaiter comes down, he's like, Hey, like, are you okay? Come up here. Let's, you know, you'll be safe up here. It's like that, that moment of like hope is given to miles. Like, Oh my God, this is, is another like sane person in this building. Like, is, am I going to get help? So going into it, then as he rides up, you see this mutilated person. It's just another mutilated person. He just punches you and puts you in this, this wheelchair and straps you down and taunts you with the, the, the open door leading to outside to safety. It's so disheartening. I, I, as Miles, I don't know. I think I would like just like want to give up, you know, because like what do you do in that situation? And then uh, with the cutting of his fingers, Ugh. like it, and I don't I don't know if there's any significance to the fingers he chose. So like he picked the index finger on the right hand, I think, and then the ring finger on the left, if I got that right. Um, without looking, but I don't know why that was. I don't know what it is about those fingers that he wanted to, to, to cut off, or if they if he just wanted to cut those ones off, just because you know. Um, and uh, he's a, he's a super interesting character, and we'll learn. A, I think we learn a little bit more about him. I'm pretty sure I put in the script. And I think also something that makes everything another layer of unnerving that I was just thinking about is everyone seems to have like a really intentional purpose. Like in a situation like this. It feels chaotic, but everyone you run into seems to know exactly what they want to do and exactly how they're going to do it. And they all seem to be incredibly driven in a really terrifying way um, where it isn't random. It isn't just Mm -hmm. like chaotic. It's very like focused with the stranger, with the twins. They have restraint. They're waiting for the right moment because they want to enjoy the experience. With this stranger, like you said, he has specific fingers he cuts off. He has a specific method of of doing the things he's going to do that just makes it even more terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And and this is where we kind of get into that that thing that Miles says and, and maybe story goes just take this as like a um as context as we as we keep talking about the stranger, but earlier we talked about how written on the walls Miles sees the words fingers first, then balls, then tongue. Um so really pay attention to that as we continue with the story more because we're about to meet another character who has uh been with the stranger for an unknown amount of time and we kind of see what have ha- has happened to them and what will potentially happen to Miles if he stays around the stranger any longer. Letting the blood fall around his wrists, Miles tries to escape his restraints. Using it as a lubricant, Miles is able to free his wrists and unshackle his ankles. He falls forward onto the sink in front of him and vomits on the floor. He grabs his camcorder that recorded his abuse at the hands of the stranger. Quickly leaving the room, Miles hears someone asking him to come closer. Miles follows the voice to find a person strapped to a bed. I'm not a patient. I'm an executive. Just like him. Just like Traeger. Miles records the person speaking to him. Their skin has large cuts all the way down their body and sewn shut, their nose missing as well as their genitals. But he got the treatment. He's too alive. Filled with Warnick's nightmares. It worked too well. They couldn't control it. And you can't control it. Nobody... Nobody. The disfigured patient continues to scream, worrying Miles that Traeger would come investigate. Miles runs to a nearby bed and hides underneath it. He'll find you. He'll kill you. He's coming now. Traeger. Traeger. The patient continues to scream. Through the room door, Traeger enters. Miles watches from under the bed as the person who cut off two of his fingers walked over to the patient. Ah, I see what's happening here. 
Traeger says to the screaming patient. You're bored. You want a little attention. <laughs> Perfectly understandable. Well, I'm here for you. I'll give you very special attention. As Traeger talks to the patient, Miles sees an opportunity to run and takes it. Coming out from under the bed, Miles moves to the door as Traeger entered from. The floor creaks under Miles' foot, causing Traeger to turn around. He smiles at Miles. Hey, nobody likes a quitter. Miles runs as Traeger follows after him. Sprinting through the hallways, desperate to escape Traeger, Miles knows he'll never escape again if he's caught. He spots the elevator, missing a door that Traeger brought him up through and goes inside. It won't move, however, because it needs a key. Miles looks around for the key, but nothing. Traeger's getting closer to Miles. Spotting an open vent, Miles jumps inside. Crawling through, Miles jumps out of an open hole to find a small room. Inside, hanging on the wall, is a key labeled elevator. He quickly grabs it, but as he does, the massive shears that took his fingers smashes through the door next to him. Miles turns and jumps out the room through a service desk window and runs to the elevator. He's out of breath, but pushes forward. Death follows him. Its name is Traeger. Miles finds the elevator and puts the key in the keyhole and turns it. He presses any number, and the elevator begins to go down. He takes a deep breath, relieved he escaped Traeger. Suddenly, Miles hears him. I'm not giving up on you! Miles sees Traeger on the elevator floor, wrestling with the elevator gate separating them. He opens the gate and attacks Miles, who is able to hold him back. The two struggle in the elevator as it stops and then continues to go down. Miles pushes Traeger on the hall, but Traeger tries to get back in. He gets pinned between the elevator door and the floor he lays on. Miles can hear the bones breaking as Traeger screams in agony, his massive shears falling out of his hand. Miles stands in horror at the sight before him. Traeger lays dead, and Miles feels nothing but relief. Realizing Traeger's body is in the way of the elevator going down further, Miles opens the elevator grate above him and goes out. He's able to walk out to the floor due to an opening left by Traeger's body. Miles steps over it and continues forward. So Traeger's dead. Um, and just in case I didn't like clearly state it, he gets crushed between the elevator and the floor. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I mean, it's really, it's really kind of hard to watch. Uh, it's very gross. Um, yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to hear. Um, and like, the, I, I can very clearly see um, the visuals of it. And like, the fact that you have to, you're like there watching it happen is just even more kind of gut wrenching and uh, terrifying. Yeah, yeah, and and it, I didn't put it in the script because I thought it was a little too much. But like when you record, so after Traker's dead and you're just sitting in the elevator as Miles, you bring up your camcorder and you record it. He writes down like how to make Traeger juice. Step Ugh. one, squeeze, and that's it. And I was like, dude, like that is not the time to make jokes. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's where the, that cynical nature of Miles comes through the most is like it's just like the, the most i mean this trigger is an awful person right he's cut off miles fingers he's chasing him trying to kill him trying to torture him um but still it just seems wrong to to say make a joke in that situation you can hate yeah. trigger as much as you want I, mm -hmm. I would sympathize with that but to make a joke about it just seems really weird timing to me yeah um yeah so it just seems like a little strange as miles turns the corner he sees my father martin looking through a window in the next room Miles runs to Father Martin, a locked door and paned glass separating them. Martin speaks. Thank God you survived. I feared that secular maniac would carve you up like the others. Meet me outside. We're close now.
Father Martin turns and runs away, leaving Miles to find another way outside. Miles searches the halls as he begins to notice more and more smoke coming in the direction he needs to go. Entering a large room, Miles immediately sees a fire engulfing it. Putting his four fingers in front of his hand to block the heat from his face, Miles notices a patient sitting inside. I had to burn it. All of it. Murkoff took so much from us, used us, turned us into these things because nobody cared about a few forgotten lunatics. Miles records the patient as he continues to speak. So let it burn. Burn the whole goddamn thing down. Get out. If you want to live, you can get out through the kitchen. Miles turns without saying a word and moves forward, leaving the patient to burn to death. With the fire too intense to leave the building through the kitchen, Miles leaves to restore the power to the sprinkler system and runs back to the kitchen and out the open doors Traeger had taunted him with earlier before. Outside, the rain comes down hard. Using his night vision on his camcorder, Miles searches the asylum grounds but cannot find Father Martin anywhere. More blood trails left behind for Miles to follow. He's forced to use his camcorder's night vision to see. In the distance, he sees a figure hovering over the ground. Miles stops and stares in disbelief. As the figure moves closer to Miles, Miles turns and runs back to the asylum. Looking back, he can't see any shape of the person flying at him. The figure can only be seen in night vision. God help me. I think I've seen the wall rider. Miles says as his camcorder continues to record. Miles is cold, the rain being down on him. He climbs up a nearby ladder and traverses over small structures and scaffolding in the courtyard. Jumping down, he walks to a nearby passage only to see Chris Walker moving towards him again. Miles turns and runs, trying to find any safety from the monster. Able to hide in the shadows, Chris walks by Miles, unaware the journalist is hiding. Miles runs away when the coast is clear and follows the blood trail to the female ward of the asylum. Arriving there, Miles realizes that it is abandoned. He slowly moves through the empty halls until he sees a flashlight in the distance on the second floor. You saw the wall rider, didn't you? Father Martin yells to Miles. You're beginning to understand. But not yet. Even Abraham has to cast his eyes to the ground, but soon, soon. This way, revelation is at hand. Miles walks the halls, looking for a way up to the second floor. He sees male patients roaming the halls with his night vision. He walks into a room with a strange machine turned on and spinning. He stops. Ugh, God, the sound of the machine. Like the sound in my head when the wall rider appears. I blink and I see static, something else, something oily and dark descending behind my eyelids, <sighs> watching me with organs I can't imagine. But the sound coming from the machine, too, from inside the walls, I know that sound. Miles continues, trying to conserve the batteries from his camcorder as much as possible. He finds the stairs leading up to the second floor and hears Father Martin. Nearly here! You can cross from the upper floors. Miles is annoyed. He's following this lunatic, but he knows he has to. He prays he hasn't lost his mind. At least not yet. He continues as he has now for a while, following Father Martin's trail of blood. As he maneuvers around patients, Miles can see it. The light fog flying around the room. 
The wall rider can't be real, Miles assures himself. He realizes soon that what was real was the cannibalistic twins from earlier, and they were hunting Miles. Quickly hiding under the bed, the twins walk by, knives in hand. Miles quickly runs when they are gone and comes to a room with a large jump needed to make it to the other side. He runs as fast as he can, and is barely able to jump and make it and grab the ledge on the other side. The wooden ledge begins to break, causing Miles to drop his camcorder down to the first floor. He's able to get over the ledge, but Miles knows that all of his proof is on that camcorder, and he needs it back. He tries to find a way down, his heart in his chest. Miles doesn't have night vision anymore. Slowly, he walks room to room, going down to retrieve his evidence. With luck, Miles finds his camcorder sitting in a room, potentially placed there. He picks it up and makes sure it's working. The screen has a small crack on the bottom left side. As he uses the night vision, he sees several patients armed in the room, waiting for Miles to arrive. He runs, his camcorder showing static at random times. Miles climbs up the ledges to the upper floors and is able to leave the female ward. He arrives back in the main lobby of the asylum. A prisoner runs to Miles and tells him to find the key to the house of God at the theater and go there. Thinking, Miles understands he needs to get the key to go to the asylum chapel. All right, I'll take a quick break. And, and Ryan, what are you thinking so far? Uh, I mean, there's there's just still like a lot of things going on. I think what's really interesting is this wall rider piece. Now, he had this experience where he, he thinks he saw it or he believes he saw it. Um, again, we're not really sure his sanity. Um, although I don't think there's been any instances, and correct me if I'm wrong, where he's been like made to be a um, unreliable narrator in this experience. He certainly mm-hmm. maybe has like different his own words are put into it, but I don't, I don't believe him to be un- unreliable in any way. So um, I, I believe he saw something. Um, there's just still a lot of questions wanting to know, cause he made it outside, right? Like he made it outside and then he went back inside. Is that correct? So yeah, he's like chased back inside, but is able to come oh, back by outside. the wall rider and then come back outside. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was a little bit hard to kind of follow, but like, yeah, you're kind of like forced back inside. Then you come back outside to, try to get to the female ward yeah it's a little bit it's a little weird but yeah that's like the first instance we see the wall rider mm-hmm. and he's got like this like it's kind of like this like ghostly form like it's just like this like kind of uh, naked more masculine type body that's kind of floating there and it just follows you but with the intent to harm you right. as, at least that's a, kind of what's like being portrayed here uh, you don't want the wall rider to come touch you or anything like that because you don't know what's going to happen you know you don't want to get a hold of you so yeah and we so, yeah, saw think, a little bit what would happen with on the security cameras right Right, yeah. So, like, we're assuming that those those military soldiers that were, like, mutilated were killed by the wall rider. Mm-hmm. So now Miles is starting to think, like, wow, maybe there is something credible going on here that I just don't understand. Yeah, and it's really interesting. The priest's character is um, so invested in Miles. It makes me think there's more, either there's more to Miles that we don't know, something that happened in the past or something else that's going on, or this priest, for some reason, believes something or knows something more than miles or anybody else knows and i also what i really like about the setting of this space is it is like a terrifying asylum but there's like factions of individuals who are not Mm -hmm. necessarily related they're all kind of doing their own thing in whatever way they they see fit but it all all terrifying all terrible but all very different which is really interesting yeah definitely and like what i found super interesting in what you're saying so for more context than these prisoners uh, so, for example, there's a document that you find in the game about Father Martin, and he is like there for schizophrenic delusions, 
and what was helping him was finger painting. But Murkoff cut the funding for this art program that Father Martin was in. And once they cut it off, he started to really fall into these like holistic delusions. And like the, the doctor on staff was like, please let him, this man finger paint because he's losing his mind. Like he really needs it. Then now we're seeing this thing. So Father Martin's not really a priest, but mm-hmm. he's, he's so lost in these delusions. But like, then you have to ask yourself, are these delusions? Because he seems to know a lot about the wall rider and he seems to worship the wall rider. And now the wall rider seems to be real. So maybe Father Martin's not as crazy as he seems. Yeah. He still might be. <laughs> that, that's really interesting that like the, the stopping of, which again has some really interesting commentary on um, social services in a really interesting way, which I think, yeah, I yeah. think undertones some of this game. But um, yeah, that's really interesting. And again, one of the things it's doing is making us question what is or isn't real. And what, what, what do we as the player believe? What do What can we believe? Because we're seeing all these terrifying things and then all of a sudden there's this supernatural piece um right and yeah it's it's really interesting it's it's sad too because it really makes you think about like in terms of like a societal standpoint like you see how much money celebrities make and, and people in that kind of industry make and and i'm not trying to downplay it i mean we, we're making a podcast we're not making any money from it but like <laughs> you know you never know but like it's sad because think about if the people who ran this asylum made the money that celebrities make would the level of care be better would there be more and granted it sounds like this asylum was made to for the purpose of human experimentation but maybe just asylums in general then or hospitalizations in general then or whatever maybe any social service healthcare system um is so underpaid and then of course i should probably get some context to you i'm a social worker so i say this with (laughs) (laughs) right maybe some kind of bias here um but just how better the services would be if uh they are paid better, but I think I'm kind of getting off track now. <laughs> yeah, if only um, we were we'd take care of these people. There wouldn't be scary, terrifying flying monsters and people losing their fingers, perhaps. Exactly, that's a good moral <laughs> story. Pay more, yeah. pay social workers better, pay or you'll social get flying better. monsters coming after you. Give yeah. Eric a million dollars, or monsters <laughs> will take over. People, that's what you need I'm to take. I'm it right now. <laughs> my new my new employment is just listening. <laughs> just like, oh god, what have we done? Oh man. Uh, yeah, but overall, the story is building up more and more yeah. to, what, to whatever this wall rider thing is. And sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm about like I enjoy uh, supernatural aspects to a story that doesn't seem to have it. But then other times I don't. I'm like that. That could have done without that. It would have been fine. And I think the idea of Miles just trying to survive this asylum with no supernatural forces would would be just as mm-hmm. good. Um, and, but we'll talk more about that later as the story concludes. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what of the supernatural piece is true or not true, or what is actually happening because. Like you said, it feels like we're working towards something, but I just have not even the slightest idea of what that conclusion will be. Miles arrives at the theater, and a movie turns on, projecting onto the screen. It was an interview with Dr. Wernick, his experiments conducted in Germany, and about Project Wallrider. The movie ends, and Miles speaks to his camcorder. The man sounds like Dr. Strangelove's anemic brother. It's a 25-year-old audio recording, an interview with Dr. Wernick. Los Amalos means government work. Wernick talks about spontaneous bleeding, tremors, psychosomatic reactions in insufficiently disturbed people. Seems to walk a line between science and Nazi mysticism. Only a test subject who has witnessed enough horror is capable of activating the engine. The morphic engine. The movie they're projecting, it gets in my head like a song I can't stop humming. I blink and I see Rorschach tests like swarming insects and infected surgical wounds. The patients talk about using the engine to conjure the wall rider. 
it's the buzzing I hear in my bones. So really quick, just for context. So Miles is like, at this point, Miles keeps hearing this like humming in his head and he just can't get rid of it. And he's kind of talked about a little bit, like the machinery, the humming of like a machinery, he hears it in his head. And that's kind of the sound that all the patients are hearing in their heads. And it's kind of what's made them go like really insane. So Miles knows that he's kind of hearing it too. And that's kind of, I think it's starting to worry him because he knows this is connected somehow to Dr. Warnick and to Project Wallrider. And he doesn't understand what that means. Yeah, it certainly feels like we're starting to see over time Miles go more and more insane um, yeah. in, in what it sounds like perhaps by design. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Miles goes to the projector room and finds the key he needs. The twins enter the theater, but Miles is able to get away and uses the key to unlock the third floor. Miles sees the patients there praying. He walks the halls leading to the chapel. Outside the entrance, the twins stand on either side of the door, naked and covered in blood. They stare at Miles as he walks past into the chapel. At the end of the chapel, Father Martin is crucified to a cross. We will join the wall rider just a moment. Father Martin assures the patients, praying in front of him. In front of the father is a small table with a key resting on it. My job. <laughs> you alone shall escape to tell them. This is your penultimate act of witness. The promise of the prophets are always freedom from death. And here it is. You will watch and record my death, my resurrection. And together, we will be free. Miles readies his camcorder to record. You are no longer in any danger. I have fixed the elevator. It will take you to freedom. We will all of us be free. Martin looks to the patient to his left, holding a lit candle. Now, my son. The patient lights the wood piled underneath the cross, setting Father Martin on fire. Martin screams out in pain, the flames engulfing him. Miles watches as Father Martin dies. The camcorder recording, Miles says. I can't believe Father Martin won up to Jesus Christ himself in shitty ways to die. And I don't believe I'm going to miss him. A way out. If he's telling the truth, now I've got a way out. And a story to tell. <laughs> he wants me to spread his gospel. I'll tell the whole fucking world. Miles leaves the chapel, the twins opening the door for him and moves down the hall to an open vent and climbs inside. Jumping down, Chris Walker immediately sees Miles from down the hall, and the monster begins to chase the disturbed journalist. Running through the halls of the main building, Miles makes it to the central elevator and turns the key inside the keyhole. The elevator goes down and stops at the main lobby floor. Miles can see the exit. He can see his way out. But the elevator gates do not open. It continues to go down, as Miles hopes to leave the asylum, die. Actually, let's stop right there. Ryan, were you surprised to see Mar Father Martin and what happened to him? Yeah, I mean, part of it makes sense. If Miles is this this prophet, this this person who he has some kind of vision for, I guess this is a good way to move that forward. But yeah, mm -hmm. I was really surprised that that's how it happens. And also, like the twins just let him out after this happened. Is that is that correct? Yeah, and I could have done a better job with explaining. So the twins are kind of like working for the prophet. 
Like, oh, he's, like I, I think they're the ones that with the prophet they're kind of lying the blood mm-hmm. to like lead Miles, but the twins also really want to kill Miles. Right. So they're kind of like in that conflicted like. Yeah. Well, if he's if he's the chosen one, he won't die. So we can kind of try to hunt him, and if he dies, then he wasn't worthy. You know. Um, at least that's why they don't specifically say that in the game, but that's kind of what I'm getting. You know. Yeah. Um, so when Miles My- makes it, the twins are like, "Well, I guess we can't kill this guy now." You yeah. know, because that Father Martin's here and and Miles made it. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I'm really curious as to like. Uh, for the development team like so like crosses are constantly used but it sounds like father martin was worship worshiping the wall rider mm-hmm. um so i'm very surprised but also not kind of not surprised they continue to use the the symbol of the cross as like the religious like kind of i don't want to say undertone but like kind of the religious like background for this worship of the wall rider i would have expected like a different kind of like symbolism for that mm-hmm. um but maybe the cross is more relatable for for players. I'm not sure. Yeah, you can you can see a cross and instantly know it has something to do with religion and has there's a whole bunch of context tied in there. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting and also it seemingly that now that Miles is free to share, I'm assuming that the plan being to show everybody what's happened here so they'll believe it. I guess. Mm-hmm. But then what happened in the elevator? Um, is that going to be in this part? Yeah, so we're talking about what's happening in the elevator now okay. as it goes down. Uh, yeah, so then with the elevator, um, I just wasn't sure if, if we stopped before that or after that because I wanted to talk quickly oh, about yeah. that moment. Okay, so when the elevator's going down, you I don't know if that's part of the plan or if that's just something going wrong um, at this point because if he wants him to get out, that isn't the way out. So it also makes me interested to know what, why, what else still does he need to see perhaps or what else does he yeah. still need to do before he's able to leave and share this. And with who Miles is, it sounds like he thinks he's, like, one here. Like, he's tricked. The priest thinks he's got Miles, but Miles knows he's sane and the priest is crazy. So, yeah, sure, I'll share whatever you want to say, old man. Now let me get out of here. But it sounds like Miles actually is the butt of that situation, which is really (laughs) interesting. Yeah, yeah. We'll soon soon learn that Father Martin has more plans for Miles, um, that he obviously won't see the end till because he just died. But, uh, but yeah, there's definitely more going on here than Miles realizes. And I think there's more that Father Martin wants him to see yeah. before he's able to, to leave. Down the elevator goes, several levels into the asylum. Miles realizes Father Martin had no intention of letting him leave. There was more he wanted Miles to see. As the elevator opens, Miles walks down a hallway covered in ice. He opens the door down the hall and into another lobby. The walls and floors marked in blood. Miles records what he sees and speaks. Fuck, 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 fuck. Whoever finds my corpse, trust no one and tell everyone. I am not crazy. I know, I know. Only crazy people say that. But I am as sane as the world allows with a camera full of evidence. Don't call it a gospel. Call it a mockery of reason. Let the world know it is Murkoff's fault. Bury these bastards with my mutated dead body. Dead security and soldiers line the floors, their bodies torn and ripped apart. Miles continues through the underground facility, passing several rooms with no life inside. Miles spots a large open door leading outside through a window in the hall. He runs forward, trying to get to the room with the large open door. As he turns the corner, the security door leading to that room starts to close and lock. The emergency lights come to life. Through his night vision on his camcorder, he sees it again. The ghostly figure takes shape in front of the now-locked door, stopping Miles, the wall rider. Miles runs, 
He wants out of this place and to never have to run again. Miles opens the doors in front of him to escape the wall rider. As Miles opens the doors in front of him to escape the wall rider, the massive Chris Walker stands in his way, grabs him, and throws him to the floor. Little pig, little pig, no more escape. Miles is dazed. He can't get away. Chris Walker bends down to finally kill the journalist he's been hunting this whole time until he's thrown against the wall. Back and forth, Chris Walker is slammed into the walls and floor by an invisible force. Miles is confused but quickly understands. He pulls his camcorder up and looks through the night vision. He sees it. The wall rider is beating Chris to a bloody pulp. The ghostly entity picks Chris Walker up and crushes his body into a vent, his blood spraying out of the metal tube. Everything is quiet as Miles stares in disbelief. He just wanted to do the right thing and expose Murkoff, but now he just wants to get out. Standing up, Miles continues down another hall, finding a room with an office sealed off behind unbreakable glass. A man in a wheelchair is in the office, staring at a large painting displayed on his wall. I know, I know, the mysterious elder says. I am supposed to be dead. No, no such luck. I am older than sin, but somehow the only one left because of Billy. Miles records the elderly man on his camcorder. He takes care of me. He may think I'm his father. He certainly loves me, the poor idiot. Miles understands this is Dr. Wernick, the doctor behind Project Wall Rider. Wernick, now bound to a wheelchair, talks through the help of a computer. Do you know what this symbol means? Wernick stares at a large symbol in his office, one that Miles has seen throughout the underground compound. It warns of nanohazard, microscopic machines, technology we have had for decades but never mastered. Miles didn't understand. Murkoff discovered, in my research, a workaround, turning the cells in a human body into nanofactories. It's the natural function of cells to produce molecules. But through psychosomatic direction, we engineered the precise molecules necessary. Mind over body, Wernick explained. It was foolish to think we could control it, to use madmen to make something so strong. You have to stop him, to murder Billy. Turn off his life support, his anesthesia. You have to undo what I have done. Wernick pleads to Miles. No one can get out of this place while he lives. You must kill him. So Ryan, what do you think of that revelation? Do you understand kind of what's uh, going on? Yeah, I think so. Here, let me let me say it back and you tell me if I got it. All right, so... Okay. Um, this old gentleman, this old German dude is the guy who is kind of behind the technology. And this wall rider is like nano robots that were created by crazy folks, made more powerful by crazy folks. And it's attached to Billy, who's his son. Kind of. So you're close. You're okay. really close. So yeah. Yeah. So this is Dr. Warnick behind Project Wall Rider. So yeah. So the wall rider actually is, he's not this ghostly entity. He's just a bunch of nano machines. 
And what, what the wall rider, what they were doing is they're using all the patients at Mount Massive Asylum and was kind of taking Project Wall Rider and, and kind of fusing it into these prisoners to see if they can have them control the oh. nanomachine. So they're putting them inside the body. Um, and, and a lot of the experiments failed. A lot of the people died. But with this Billy, who's a, who's a patient there, he's not related to Dr. Warnick. With Billy, it worked. So the wall rider is being controlled by Billy. Billy is in control of the wall. So every action we've seen the wall rider do, this is this Billy that's in control. So that's why Wernick's still alive, because Billy, a.k.a. the wall rider right now, is is keeping him alive. He right. supposedly cares for him, probably because he is now the wall rider. So he like kind of like he like worships Wernick for allowing him to be this nano machine god. Um, but Wernick knows that he's too powerful and that he needs to die in order for them to live. So he's tasked Miles with killing Billy, because the real Billy is is a person is, uh, attached to a machine. Right, yeah, right. yeah. But if so, if Miles is hearing this buzzing, does that mean Miles has these things in his head also? I, that's the hard part. I do. I wasn't sure. I think so. I think it means that he's like he's able to kind of hear these nano machine things too. Right. I, I, it's kind of it, that's that's the part that was a little hard to understand because they make it sound like the Wall Rider is its kind of own entity, mm-hmm. but it's also being controlled by Billy. So it's kind of hard to understand exactly who's in control or what these nanomachines are kind of doing that's the hard part i have with this of the understanding and i don't know if you're supposed to understand this mm-hmm. or not you know i don't know if that's the case if we kind of just assume that the wall is billy but um but yeah I, that that was hard for me to understand so if actually if any story goes no better than me and would love to write in to tell us i would super appreciate that that's something i would like to know more of if i miss that i do really love the it's kind of a trope i love this the trope in horror games where Everyone believes there's a supernatural element to it, but then there's this like kind of explanation to it. It's I, it's really satisfying, um, I think, in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. um, it makes things more scary, right? Because it's not some magical thing. It's like just science gone wrong in this right. terrifying, gross way. And by them trying to create and control these things, they've just like destroyed countless lives and driven people insane. Um, but yeah, which is more terrifying, I think, than like, a spooky ghost god right yeah that's why when we first got introduced to the wall rider i was like oh man i don't like supernatural things and like realistic kind of and i mean this is not super realistic but i mean hypothetically it could happen right, right. They, they could be in the same sound that, that the patients you can control and kill everyone and like it's crazy but it's it's kind of realistic so when the wall, wall rider is introduced it's like why are we introducing a ghost in this story it seems mm-hmm. kind of silly but then you kind of realize there's more going on like this is Murkoff Corporation trying to profit off of nanotechnology and to master it. So, and what better way to kind of to learn from it than to use human subjects through this asylum? So that it, it's kind of cool that they're. Yeah. I mean, okay, let's take a back step. It's not cool. <laughs> you do human experimentation, but that explanation as to why this is all happening and for the wall rider to actually be nano machines being controlled by somebody—that's kind of cool. That's yeah. way cooler than like say like some dead person. That's like I think that they're trying to make it seem like Doctor Warnick was dead and was this wall rider is kind of what my assumption was because like they say like dr warnick's been dead for years he never even worked here like we never saw him what kind of dead doctor well you know does human experimentation on people you know it, so that's why i was kind of getting this idea that maybe the wall rider was dr warnick this whole time so for the fact for him to still be alive and he's very like he's decrepit he's stuck to this wheelchair his half of his face is kind of like uh, saggy like likely from like a stroke or something like that so like he's very like on the edge of passing away but he's still just being kept alive he's like stuck in this chamber he can't get out it seems 
Miles says nothing and walks out. He needs to find this Billy and kill him if he wants to leave alive. While looking for the wall rider, aka Billy, finds Miles and chases him, trying to stop the journalist. Miles makes it to the main laboratory and finds Billy. He's trapped inside a tank of water, forced to look at images of ink blots and disturbing material. Miles records him as he is. He looks through the notes laying by Billy, processing what he needs to do. From Billy's patient records, he ought to be 23 years old. He looks like at least 50 years of rough road. Pain scratched deep in what I can see. Killing you would be an act of kindness. And again, really quick, that's where we see a lot of the cynicalness. And this was potentially where Miles is like losing his mind. Yeah, I totally think. snap. But now he's gone through all, all this crap to get to this point and all he has to do is kill somebody. I, it makes sense as like if he lost his mind that he's out to this point. Like, I'll, I'll kill whoever you want to kill. I just need to get out of here. You know? <laughs> right. Like, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine the trauma that would come out of going through an experience like this. And yeah. what type of person, even when Miles makes it out of here, what type of person he would even be. Right, yeah. And it's, it's interesting, too, because as you play the game, after you meet Traeger and you lose your fingers, you're playing the rest of the game seeing your, your hands and your missing Ugh, fingers. Yeah. Like, you play the whole game like that, the rest mm-hmm. of the game like that. So it's that constant reminder that you've been, like, mutilated in some way, and, like, you've been affected by this. It's, 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 a, it's a cool way to, to kind of remind the player that they've gone through some stuff. You yeah. Know? Miles tries to end Billy's life support system, but it doesn't work. He leaves and begins to find and shut off the power supply and other machinery needed to end Billy's life. The wall rider chases Miles, desperate to stop him. Miles is able to shut off what he needs to, goes back to Billy, and shuts everything down from the main console. Billy writhes in pain, blood pouring out of him and encasing the tank in deep red. Miles records Billy dying until he's pushed against Billy's tank and grabbed the wall rider. It slams Miles into the wall hard, then across the floor. It holds Miles in the air and seemingly enters into him, falling to the ground hard. Miles doesn't understand what happened. He's hurt, but alive. With a broken leg, Miles tries to leave the facility. He struggles to stay up. He feels different. Hobbling through the hallways, he makes it to a set of double doors that open before he touches the handles. Military soldiers, along with Dr. Warnick, stop Miles with assault rifles aimed at him. Miles raises his hands to show he means no harm, but it doesn't stop the soldiers from firing bullet after bullet into him. Miles falls to the ground, blood draining from him as his eyes close. Gottenheim, Warnick says with a shocked tone of voice. You have become the host. Screams of death and violence can be heard as the sound of the wall rider comes to life. The end. Wah! Yeah, I know. It's kind of a cliffhanger. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and I will say, too, we get a slight more context in the DLC of kind of what happens to Miles. Mm -hmm. Um, Not a whole lot of information, um, but the DLC for this game is just called uh, Outlast Whistleblower. It's really good. It's really, really, really good. And um, the main character of of the DLC is in the asylum around the same time Miles is in the asylum. And so... You know, you can guess as to whether or not maybe this person sees Miles, and it's kind of a, a cool, a little cool thing that happens there. But we'll save that for the next for when we cover that story. Yeah, yeah, I have a lot of questions about that now too. That's so cool. Um, okay, wow. So it, somehow when Miles killed Billy, 
these mm-hmm. nanobots entered Miles's body. Right. And, right. and because I think he heard the, the noise in his head, like, right, know, is, is affecting him. Yeah, interesting. So then now Miles is in control or has become the wall rider in some way. Um, yes, yes. And so now he's the new, yeah. the new host. Wow. I mean, the really cool thing is, is even though the priest had no idea what it, how it actually all worked, or maybe he did. Like he predicted this, right? He he did. He yeah. made all this happen, which is just so cool. And there's this like side story that we, as the player, think we're taking advantage of the priest, and Miles does too, and that he's helping us because he's crazy, and we're just gonna mm-hmm. do what he says because it, it keeps us alive and helps us move forward. But in the end, he ends up being correct in what he was trying to do. Right? Yeah, he thinks that Miles is this apostle, and it allows Miles to become possessed by the Wall Rider. Yeah, like it's cra- it's a crazy like like you're saying. You're making a great point. Who would think that this this patient who is has a lot of mental health issues would lead Miles to this path mm-hmm. to to end up being the host of the Wall Rider exactly the way he wants you? Because because the you know, Father Martin also worships the Wall Rider, so why not let his apostle become the host? Yeah, it, it almost makes me think that in some way. The wall rider was a, has some more effect on those around him or around it than possible. Perhaps the wall rider has like affected Father Martin in some way. I don't know how, but in some way to mm-hmm. make types of things happen. But again, what's really cool is I'm projecting all kinds of sentience on these nanobots um, yeah. because the way the game has portrayed this this being and this creation and made it to be this like powerful being. But yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, and I don't, and I don't know necessarily if it's like if it was Billy passing on the wall rider to Miles to like as like a curse kind of thing. Like, well, if you're gonna kill me, then I'm gonna curse you with this thing, <laughs> right? Or if it's the nanobots just needing a host to live, and they they pick Miles because he's the closest thing to them. But yeah, it's cool. And then I'm really excited to cover the DLC because there's even more like what we see in the DLC. We'll see like kind of what happens with Miles, but there's also information outside of the DLC as to kind of what happens with Miles after the game. So it'd be cool to kind of cover that and kind of figure out and piece together what happened to Miles and, or, or if anything happened to Miles. He gets like, shot a lot in the hallway by the, these <laughs> right. assault rifles. Like he gets plowed through and just falls to the ground. So it's very interesting to think like he could survive that. Yeah, yeah. But I guess in the same way, if those nanobots are, are inside of him helping him survive in the same way they helped the doctor survive. This also means that Miles is both crazy enough but powerful enough to control these things or in some way mm-hmm. they're taking advantage of him. Yeah, it's, and it's interesting that Billy had to be contained, his real body had to be contained in this like this water yeah. tube thing, and this like circular water tube thing, as to let the like, wall rider like live. I, I'm guessing like if you like had to be unconscious or something for it to live, because he because Billy like needed anesthesia, but was able to like be conscious. It sounds like conscious through the wall rider, so mm-hmm. like maybe you can't have one or the other. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, that's the story of Outlast, and I'm super excited to cover the DLC. I never played the second game, but I hear it's really good. So, I, but I hear it also has no connection to the first game unfortunately oh really like totally disconnected it just is like another scary story i think murkoff corporation is involved somehow oh, but it doesn't have any any interaction with the asylum or any characters in that regard i don't gotcha, think gotcha. interesting yeah but yeah that's the story of alice ryan what do you think of it uh, i think i really liked it i mean it's just this like really cool horror story that has like this terrifying setting this this rundown old asylum asylum that is is a, is a setting that we see in horror a lot and then it has mm-hmm. these like terrifying but really interesting characters that drive the whole thing that are just you want to interact more with them because they're interesting but they're you don't want to because they're just so terrifying like like right. everyone that we run into especially traeger 
And then this the really cool arc of you're here to take down this corporation. You slowly lose your mind as you're put through this ringer of the asylum. And in the end, you become this powerful being that basically caused everything that's here. It was It's really interesting. Right, yeah. It's, like, it's almost like Miles became not property of Murkoff, but he became the creation that Murkoff yeah. invented. You know, he became the one that he didn't want to be, which is like anything associated to Murkoff. And, and it sounds like, and perhaps a misunderstanding, it sounds like in order for Wall Rider to function, it has to be with like somebody who's like a little bit nuts, who's been kind of desensitized to horror and desensitized to the world in some way, which like certainly Miles has through this experience. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that like we, I mean, we really see that through the whole experience. Like Miles is really put through the ringer and like he starts to hear that noise. And I don't know if that was in, like the, the intent of that was like there's like machines behind the walls trying to make these people more insane. Yeah. So they could be better test subjects. I don't know if that's what Miles is talking about with the machines he hears behind the walls. But yeah, I think you definitely need to be a little bit crazy for the wall rider to kind of take effect. Yeah. Or to be able to use you as a host. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, overall, I like this game a lot. I thought. I thought it was really cool. Like we said that the wall rider is not this ghostly thing. It's, it's based in science. And I mean, I don't know how real the science would actually be, but <laughs> it's still interesting. And these characters are just so weirdly developed. Mm-hmm. When you think of a developed character, you think of this person that's kind of like shows a lot of like different emotions and, and a lot of background context. Um, but for these characters in this game, like father Martin being just this patient with holistic uh, delusions to, to lead miles through this this crazy adventure only to end up as the host of the wall rider and and miles being this this reporter who may or may not have been doing this for the right reasons to only end up in this horrible situation where he may or may not have died you know like it's it's very very sad and it's very um i don't know the ending kind of leaves you up leaves you up in the air and i really wish we had more but it looks like i don't know if we're ever gonna go back to it or not i i'm also really curious if Miles was brought here on purpose in some way. Does mm. it talk at all about where the tip came from or how he found this place? Or is, is that something that's we don't know? Yeah, it's just an anonymous tip. Um, gotcha. Yeah, so it's just like someone had sent an email to him. I'm actually not quite sure. That's actually a really good question. I thought originally that the DLC, because it's called Whistleblower, was about the main character finding information and sending it to... A bunch of reporters miles being one of them but the dlc takes place at the, around the same time as the first game so i don't think that's the case i'm not quite sure where the email came from yeah, but yeah i really liked it I, it was a, it's a really good horror story and it touches on a different type of horror there are similar overlaps there's a there are overlaps there but a different kind of horror than soma where you're just mm-hmm. con- like constantly living in fear of what's going to happen next and what's around the corner and these things that are hunting you that you have just have no recourse in the same way soma you have no recourse but Soma is terrifying, not when anything terrifying is happening. This game is just like nonstop, you know, the entire time, just tension and, and uh, terror. Yeah, yeah. And it's really sad, too, because these characters all like, not all of them. But like, I didn't mention this in the script, but like Traeger was an executive at Murkoff. Oh, we, we did mention that. But he had like, you know, he was very rich. He spoke well. Um, he was educated. And for whatever reason, Murkoff used him as an experiment. And then he became that. You know, so like all these people are kind of normal people or maybe have like a, like a normal, I say, quote unquote, normal mental health condition that were kind of just led to this like further insanity because of this corporation and what they wanted to do and profit from. So, um, but yeah, overall, I think it's a really straightforward and, and solid, scary story. Yeah, it's I agree. Really, it's, a, it's, a good, it's one of my favorite horror game stories, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. 
And as always, storygoers, if you have any thoughts, feelings, or perspectives about the game Outlast, please let us know at talesfromthecartridge at gmail.com. All of the E's are threes. You can also find us at Twitter and Instagram. DM us. Let us know what you think about the story. Um, and Ryan, would you want to announce what the, our next spooky game will be next week? I would love to. Um, I originally was going to take on Alan Wake, um, but that I was I was playing through it and, and watching it. It didn't quite feel like it was what I wanted to take on right now. Mm-hmm. And especially after the two heavy experiences we've had, I wanted something maybe a little bit lighter. This still kind of took on one of those horror niches, but maybe not in the same way. And so uh, we're going to do Red Dead Redemption, Undead Nightmare. Do not worry. You don't have to know anything about Red Dead. It's a, it's a, its own solo experience, um, and it's just a really fun, campy, kind of funny horror experience that I'm really excited for. That's so cool. I haven't played Undead Nightmare since it probably came out originally. Yeah. I just I played it once. I probably never touched it again, but I remember enjoying it. So I'm very excited to kind of go back through it again with you. Uh, as we used to play Red Dead a lot oh, yeah. back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh, many a times we'd take some wagons and just go shoot people. Many, <laughs> many teenagers our age were unhappy with us. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's a, it's a very well-received DLC. It's a, it's a cool little experience. Um, and I think it'll be a nice little fit in with the rest of our terrifying experiences. Um, still scary. Still has spooky, spooky undead, but in maybe a different way. Yeah, super cool. I think I think that's a great idea, and I think it's fun that we're taking on Red Dead, uh, Undead Nightmare before we even talk about Red Dead. I, <laughs> yeah, think, it's, I yeah. think it's really cool that we're doing that way. Yeah. Then we kind of get an introduction to these characters, kind of. So mm-hmm. we do tackle Red Dead eventually one day. Um, really, kind of, we have some context already about these characters. Yeah, and how it's set up, you could stick any characters in the place of the characters who are there, and it would still be interesting, engaging. I mean, some of the heavy lifting is done, I guess, because you have an idea, but. I, all the characters who are there are interesting without you having any connection to anything else other Red Dead. So yeah. I think that's what's going to be really cool and a cool challenge to see how that goes. Awesome. Super cool. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be great. Well, as always, Storygoers, thank you so much for joining us. If you would find it in your beautiful big hearts to consider giving us a five-star rating wherever possible or leaving a nice review or sending us a nice email. We would always appreciate it. And we really appreciate you listening to our episodes. Yeah, thank you. And we will see you for the next story. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.